Hey there, I'm Jo and this is Looking Outside, the podcast that explores new perspectives beyond the familiar. I am a CPG innovator and with this show, I'm seeking a fresh take on business topics with some of the most influential and original thinkers. If you find yourself curiously peeking over the fence at what is happening outside your market, industry or field of knowledge, then this show will help you to explore more of that. Hey everyone, welcome back to Looking Outside. Today we are looking outside words, how they shape us, how they limit us, and how they connect and divide us. And let me tell you, I am so excited about this chat because I have my very good friend on the show and fellow Mars futurist, Jess Southard. Hey Jess. Hey Joe. One of my favorite topics. Yeah, I know, right? This is why I needed to have Jess on this topic because she is a wordsmith and incredibly passionate about words. So it's going to be a really great conversation, but we might just start off with you telling the audience a little bit about yourself. So I'm Jess Southard. Um, I live in just outside Nashville, Tennessee. Um, Currently at Mars, as Joe said, I lead our corporate foresight program, which I've been doing for a little over almost two years now. Um, But before that, you know, I've been at Mars a total of eight. I've been doing sort of in the consumer insights, consumer research space for about 15 years. So before Mars, I was at P&G. And then a really, really long lifetime ago, although Joe gets to hear stories all the time, I was in the Army, uh, so I did military intelligence for about five years. Personally, I am a mom. I've got three little ones. You know, you've got young kids, so you got, you just went through that phase where they were like learning to speak and learning, you know, which, which words to say, which words not to say, and the power of language and words. So I love that you're going to bring that into the conversation as well. But, you know, I'm totally fascinated by the fact that you've switched careers years quite, you know, drastically, I would say, going from the army into the corporate world. And, you know, one thing that I wanted to ask you was, you know, the use of words inside of the army versus the way that you use them now, even in your personal life, when you say, let's prepare for something in the army, it's quite different than when you say, let's prepare a presentation, right? Oh, for sure. For sure. I studied math in college, but once I got into the army, that was really what sparked my fascination with human beings, with human behavior, and even culture. And if you think about language, language is one of the bedrocks of culture um, and what really defines that. And so to your point, you know, how his words played out in my professional evolution as I went from army to corporate, and I think a lot of it is defined by culture and the choice of words, um, but also communication as a whole. Uh, P&G communication was very much Word documents, um, a lot of emails, whereas I think at Mars, we're a bit more less formal, much more collaborative, and we rely much more heavily on PowerPoint um, and storytelling. It's so true. So when I joined Mars, one of the things they said to me is that, uh, you know, the, the most beneficial thing you can do is to have hallway conversations with people. It's almost like the things that are not formally communicated and not written down are more powerful, those conversations where you get to know people. So how do you find that uh, the use of words or the use of communication differs depending on how you use it or how it's conveyed? So the written word versus, for example, the spoken word. They do differ. And I think not just in terms of what's said versus how it's interpreted. 
um, also differs. Uh, the formal, informal, I mean, I would argue COVID's been a, a, um, a huge testament to the importance of words and communication as line managers had to rely much more heavily on sort of the unspoken communication and sort of that nonverbal where you're picking up cues or clues about how others are feeling based off of the body language, whereas virtually that's, that's a much harder task. I feel like maybe people are a lot more aware or conscious of the words that they use versus their body language. I remember watching that Amy Cuddy TED talk about how the way that you stand, the way that you present yourself in a meeting has such a huge impact that we sort of take for granted. I feel like when you're writing an email, you're almost, you have that ability to really think through which words you're using. Sometimes you you actually don't even send an email. You sort of just sit on it because you know that it might have a bigger impact than you realize. Um, so there's a lot of, it feels like there's a lot of reflection that goes into written language inside of the business space. I think there's the reflection, but I think one of, I, one of the mistakes I see pretty often is that because you're able to go back and, and look at an email, reread an email and so forth, we tend to get very verbose and we <laughs> yeah. throw so much into emails that you just, I mean, you've, you've been on the receiving end of getting an email and you're just like, oh my gosh, you, you kind of have to print it out to be able to like process <laughs> it all. Um, and I think that has, that has really big implications in terms of how the people receiving it are thinking and feeling, but also their judgment without even knowing it, just the length of the words, the amount, but also the complexity, you immediately assume that this is going to be very challenging to put together. And so I'm really curious about uh, what role uh, communication or language or words play in social learning. So we talk about words influencing social learning inside of our private setting. I don't think that we talk a lot about how they impact social learning inside of the corporate setting. So you talk about social learning and I immediately, my, you know, my, my mom switch <laughs> flipped on and I, I think I've shared with you, I, I tell my kids, you know, words are magic and they actually have superpowers. And I firmly believe that, that the choice of words you use and, and as well as the more you say certain words, the more they become true. And if you repeat something long enough, it, it, it again, it becomes true. And with my kids, I use the example, you know, I reinforce to them, I am special. And I have them repeat that, I am special. I am loved. I am kind. But I think that positive affirmation is so critical in building that internal self-worth. And it really influences our psychology. It really impacts that child's cognitive and emotional development. I think it also plays out in parenting. I hear a lot of parents say, oh, you screwed up um, versus you behaved badly. You know, the army was really about leadership leadership at every single level. It didn't matter your rank. It didn't matter your job. Um, you know, every soldier was was trained and empowered to be a leader in the garrison environment, in the battlefield environment. And so I think part of our training in the military is reinforcing that sense of responsibility, but also that element of leadership. Um, and it was weaved into a lot of our language. Um, you know, for me, my, my second deployment, I, uh, I had 13 soldiers that I was responsible for. 
and very similar to being a parent. Again, I wasn't I wasn't a mom at the time, but I think I was starting to hone my skill sets. <laughs> I leveraged positive affirmation consistently with my soldiers. Um, you know, when we were doing the training prior to deployment, a few of them had problems you know, with certain skill requirements or passing certain tests. And I constantly reinforce, you can do this. I believe in you. As leaders, as parents, you know, even in the corporate setting as a line manager, your job is to use words to exude superpowers in the people that you are responsible for. Every time I use words with my children, I'm really trying to tap into what is their innate natural talent and how do I build confidence so that they unleash that? I love that. That's so powerful. And for anyone who has met Jess, you you probably received a compliment from her about something that you're good at or <laughs> something that you do really well. And I get this from Jess all the time. And that that is so motivating for you to not only keep going and get through the you know the tough days, but also to really think about what you are good at. So really reflect on yourself. And there's something that you touched on before, which is connected to this uh, train of thought that I have, which is love love languages. Have you done love languages? I have. <laughs> <laughs> so mine, my biggest motivation in love language apparently is words of affirmation. So compliments essentially, which my husband did not find surprising. Uh, but it's interesting if I think about um, what that taught me about myself and the power of words and the words that I receive, the words that I'm paying attention to, maybe the words that I'm ignoring and really understanding myself and what motivates me. So that's, that's it seems like a huge enabler of language to help you to not only communicate, but also to more deeply understand yourself. I also am words of affirmation, um, <laughs> which is the complete opposite from my husband, which I forget what he is. But, but yeah, I think that that speaks to uh, opposites attract in many ways. I mean, I think a lot of that is is part of growing up and becoming self-aware of, of what motivates you, what energizes you, when are you disengaged. And the more as human beings, we can become very self-aware. And it really just benefits the whole of society because in my opinion, so much of the breakdown is the lack of understanding and the lack of communication. Yeah, I really want to get into this because I think that words can be such a huge divider as well as something that brings us together. Um, there's a Noam Chomsky quote, which comes to my mind, which is when he said, how is it that we have so much information, but know so little? And it kind of took me back to, you know, you were saying you you, um, you were in the field of intelligence in the army. So you're you're gathering intel. And this is sort of like how we operate inside of business, how we operate in our lives. We gather intel and information so we can make informed choices. And yet it does feel like we still know so little about ourselves, about each other, about science, about facts. Um, so how is it that we use words to empower us, but they can also work as like a filter of bias against us? You know me, I'm, I'm fascinated with the human brain and, and sort of how how we process information can have such huge impact on our, on our emotions. And as we all know, 95% of our behaviors are driven by that subconscious emotional response, right? Mm -hmm. So if you take it at a very high level, how we process words matters almost more than the words themselves. Mm -hmm. So the science is basically, you know, our brains are lazy 
and and um, we're forced to process so much information and make so many decisions on a day-to-day basis, basically our brain biases shortcuts. And so what that means in terms of this context is this concept of fluency. So the more fluent something is, the easier it is to process. It's almost like your brain gets this little dope of positivity. It biases things that are easier to process. And as a result, you interpret those to be, again, right, true, or even more appealing or, or what you like. Um, so if I think about today, this age of infobesity and all of this information, I think it ultimately impacts what we feel is true and what we are able to decipher is right or wrong because of the volume of information. Um, a lot of times politicians and people of authority use very complex words. Mm. Um, and there's so much literature that says, you know, using the word use is easier to process than utilize. Or for example, you know, the cat sat on the mat versus on the mat, the cat sat. Like the harder things are to just kind of make sense of in your brain, the more doubt they introduce. Something popped into my head then, which was, you know, the, the words that we use that potentially are manipulative without us knowing it or are conveying something that we don't mean for it to convey. So I was listening to a, a TED talk the other day and it was about linguistics and language. And there are certain parts of the world where when you frame a sentence, you think carefully about the cause and effect. So if someone was in an accident and they broke a vase, you wouldn't say, I like I broke a vase in the English language that's okay and that's acceptable in another language you wouldn't assign blame to somebody who had an accident so it makes me um it makes me think about the words that I'm using you know and thinking about them more carefully but also about how we interpret the words that are said by other people the words that people are using particularly politicians people in power do you think that people are mainly unaware of the influence of their words and their choices? Maybe they're lazy. Maybe they just don't know. They don't think carefully. Or do you think that in most cases it is very calculated? Oh, I, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Um, you know, I think at its core, there is this lack of empathy, this sort of empathy deficit across society, and sort of just the, the nature of how the political arena has evolved one of the biggest mistakes I consistently see, and I go back to the example of you are bad versus you behaved badly. Right now, one of the things that frightens me the most is we're immediately calling people something, putting them into a box based off of a personal choice or a behavior, and we're labeling them as such. Whereas, you know, if I use the vaccination as just an example that's obviously been very politically charged and caused a lot of, um, social tension globally, you know, calling someone an anti-vaxxer because of their choice or their behavior to not get vaccinated, again, I think that that completely dismisses their personal rationale and motivations. Um, And again, it, it puts them into a box. And human beings aren't simple. We're complex. And our behaviors and our choices really reflect our culture, our, our environment, um, our background. So just immediately assuming that people that made one decision are all one group, 
doesn't allow for the nuances that quite frankly allow us to be human beings. I think one of the best things that we can do is ask questions and have the freedom to ask questions, let alone have the freedom to have the answers to them. But I think, you know, you and I in the foresight space, we talk a lot about societies and how we come together to form a sense of belonging. And then we rebel, we break away from that to find our individualism. And that process of coming together and separating is very natural. And a part of the way that we do that is by questioning, are we going on the right path altogether as a society, as a culture? Do we need to potentially question some of the things that are in play and the ability to question words? I think is incredibly important. Absolutely. And, you know, as you think about some of the, the, just the hateful words, things that are just incredibly freighted with emotion. Um, I do think some of those words at, at a very, very bare bone level are, are what is really eroding trust today. Um, it's not just the choice of words, the inconsistency um, the difference between what is coming out of someone's mouth versus their body language. Um, I mean, I think all of those things are just really eroding trust. And we saw from the recent Edelman Trust Report, trust in, in governments is at an all-time 22-year low. Couldn't agree more. So we've talked a little bit about... Um interpretation of words and I think often what we do is we anchor it into the English language and um, and America and now that I'm in America I can see everything is about America <laughs> it's the, it really well and truly is the ruler of the world and considers itself to be that um, which is wonderful in many aspects but there are 7,000 languages spoken around the world they're all structured differently I think one of the things that I find the most enjoyable one of the things is reading Japanese manga because I have to read it from the back I have to read it from right to left and it just causes my brain to have to work a little bit harder and challenges like I guess my preconception of how language is structured and how words are used that's what I'd love to get your take on is you know how much of what we do particularly in business is so structured inside of the familiarity that we have of our spoken language of English, how much does that dominate not only how we think and operate, but also how we do our work? I do think regardless of language, there are some rules that apply because again, our brains are relatively universal. If you take someone here versus someone in Africa, human beings in the inside are, are pretty similar. And to me, it comes back to in the corporate environment, simplicity. I think another big one is repetition. I see a lot of mistakes with corporations where you're changing your strategy, you're changing your purpose, and, and sometimes associates just get a little confused. Um, and then also the role of consistency. I would say those are three principles that regardless of the words and or the language, those things still apply in making things much more fluent, much more easy to process. You know, we've been talking a lot at Mars about Gen Z. You know, one of the things that we recognize is that every young generation that comes in, they almost tailor the language and the words that are used amongst themselves to make it more them, more unique, more original. But one of the interesting things about Gen Z is that they're using words less. They're using memes, emojis, GIFs, more of that visual language, I guess you could say. So how important is it for 
uh, a corporation in particular to be able to really better understand how language is used inside of their consumer space and how culture is flexing based on that. But those things are easier. It's easier to look at a smiley face and, and, and know what that person is trying to communicate than it is a five to six word sentence, right? Our brains are constantly stimulated nowadays. And so I think, again, very subconsciously, you're seeing these younger generations that are even more mobile technology, smartphone, social media, like they're, they're defaulting to these easier shortcuts. And that's been ingrained now as part of their, it's part of their language, it's part of their culture. It's like you say, the natural inclination that we have to connect patterns in our minds and make make things easier and, and use shortcuts. So I can see how we do that with uh, language and words. How do we do that with our other senses? So communication we know is multisensorial. So we also have things like, you know, sight, sight, obviously seeing body language, touch. Um, how How are those other senses potentially used or underused and under leveraged when we think about how we understand human connection? Mm. Well, I mean, I, I, I love the human brain. And so therefore your brain processes information through all the senses, right? For example, you know, if, if you're up giving a presentation or you're speaking in a webinar, if the choice of words, so quote, what people are processing through their auditorial senses is very different than what they're seeing from a visual standpoint, that lack of congruency, again, inhibits how easy something is to process. So it, it it's almost goes completely against processing fluency and therefore gets interpreted as not true or not, quote, right. So, you know, your ability to think really critically around what am I going to visually show on a slide versus the voiceover. And if those things are very, very complementary, your audience is not only more likely to remember it, but they're more likely to think you're saying something that's that's true. So I'm curious then, because you, you've you um, obviously seen your a wealth of presentations internally and um and presentations uh you know externally at events and everything what do you think is the one word that's sort of used in the wrong way in the corporate setting or is potentially overused i'm not a fan of the word consumer Mm. yeah (laughs) i would love for us to talk about human beings and people Mm. i also think purpose has gotten a little misconstrued. We've intertwined what our mission statement needs to be as a business, sort of our North Star, with what we think people are looking for and longing for in their lives. I mean, the average person does not think about our brands. The average person doesn't even think about our categories for the most part. It's the stretch from companies trying to take responsibility, which is a great thing, to trying to take ownership, potentially, of concepts that they can never own. But I feel like a lot of it comes from internal conversations. So we we try to create shortcuts inside of a corporation using words like purpose or corporate social responsibility Mm. um, so that everybody understands. Everybody's on the same page. Why are we doing this? What are we doing? But that shortcut word, I feel like sometimes actually it's uh, a hindrance instead of an enabler for everyone to come together and, and get on the same page. And even going back to like, you know, in the army, we, a really big part of our, our planning process was what is the commander's intent and what's our mission statement? You never once saw a mission statement that was more than five words. 
Mm-hmm. And I just think that radical simplicity um, would serve a lot of corporations well in terms of, you know, stripping it back to the bare bone minimum. Some of the speeches that have been most memorable through time, if you think about some of the presidents, they really used words almost in an artistic way. And in doing so, really built trust in in the American people. Um, you know, think about John F. Kennedy. My fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. It's a speech that's traveled the test of time, and it used symmetry, which is, again, something your brain really likes. You know, if you think about human faces, your brain likes symmetry. It's, it it kind of communicates at a really high level. This is, I like this, which translates to it's beautiful. One that I love from Abraham Lincoln is, government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish from earth. And there's, again, some science in the power of three. And it, it has a little bit of a rhyme and a ring to it that, again, makes it makes it more memorable. So for me, when I think about words where I get excited is not just the words themselves, but how do you weave them together? But they, again, uh, influence people's judgment. Hearing something from a president that just sounds masterfully crafted, you build trust versus just a ton of words thrown against the wall. The other one that I really love, which I was reading about recently, was Martin Luther King's uh, I Have a Dream speech. And what I found really fascinating about that is that he like practiced this thing. Like He really worked hard at making this an, a fabulous speech. He knew how important it was. But then in that moment, the I Have a Dream part was unscripted. It wasn't on the piece of paper that was in front of him, but it was a combination of thoughts and sermons that he had construed, that he had in, in his mind. And what I'd like to think is had it in his heart and I think that's a part of you know great speeches great public statements come from the heart which takes me back to you know what you said at the very start of the call that words can be magic and I think that magic comes from really bringing our humanity into it I, I had him written down actually I had two examples of him the the I have a dream speech but also um, darkness cannot drive out darkness only light can do that Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And that's an idea of repetition. Dark, dark, light, light. He embraced the power of words, um, used them to reinforce humanity. And again, he was so respected and one of the most memorable people in the history of our country. And one of the faults I see today with politicians is you have someone else write a script. It gets edited Mm. by someone else. And then you're delivering it, but yet... It doesn't feel like your artwork. And with that, just Mm. whether intentional or not, comes across as incredibly inauthentic. Yeah, it definitely doesn't connect with you in the same way. And then the other thing I think that is really powerful about Martin Luther King is what you said earlier as well, which is the positive affirmation. Everything that he said had this positive um, side of it. He didn't focus on the side of the coin that's the negative. So incredibly powerful. And I mean... 
what a great point to end on. So Jess, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. I just loved this whole conversation. This is like, for anyone that doesn't know us, this is basically what we do at work. We just have these (laughs) (laughs) powwows, digging into things and and trying to look at things from a different perspective. So on that note, Jess, I would love to know what your go-to is when you're trying to push yourself to look outside. I mean, I'm pretty old school. I I love I love to read. I love books. Uh, and my kids my kids joke that if mom doesn't have three books that she's reading at the same time, then <laughs> then then we need to buy another book. I'm fascinated with human psychology, fascinated with behavioral science, um, but I also love history. What is that core human? behavior, what is happening in society, how is that impacting and shaping culture, and what does that mean based off some of the cycles and patterns of history, knowing that history doesn't ever repeat itself, but it often rhymes. I also read the news, and you know this, Joe. I I surround myself with as many different news sources as I can. It's not just the Washington Post, the New York Times, Fox, CNN. But I, I read Al Jazeera on a day-to-day basis. You know, I'll read the local Australia news, BBC. Um, you know, the, the more you can read just a really broad set, I think m- the more informed you can be, the more objective you can be. Um, and for me, I'm constantly trying to prevent myself from that echo chamber that I feel like the, the bulk of society is kind of going down, uh, surrounding yourselves by people that only think like you, constantly reading the same news feed or the same social media feed. It's just, again, broadening your perspective and trying to be as objective as possible. For me, it's helped me feel much, much more informed and like I'm not being misguided or, um, you know, the wool isn't being put over my eyes. And it helps you to think more critically, right? Because you're, particularly with the news, you're looking at how a certain situation or fact is being framed. So looking at the you know, the words used and the language and the context that they're giving it. So it's a really powerful one. So what three books are you reading right now? Oh, I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> um, well, so it's, it's, I'm reading, it's called Strength-Based Parenting. Um, It's literally trying to tap into what is your child's sort of hidden superpower. Just finished reading right before the holidays, Storm Before the Calm, Mm. which I've just really, really appreciated, really valued that from a how do we make sense of some of the polarization and what's going on in the U.S. today. I loved the book Visual Intelligence by Amy Herman. She's led really fantastic training for detectives, FBI agents, even corporate America to try and help them to sort of see the things that are right in front of their eyes that they're missing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's a book called 2030, and it talks about some of the big shifts that are happening um, you know, how are all of those going to collide and sort of shape the next century, um, which is a little bit closer into my foresight work, uh, but also hits on macro socioeconomic trends. Oh, I love that. I have to add that to my very long to, to read list. Every time I speak to you, Jess, I'm like adding to that list, not taking away from it. Um, but that's really, really fascinating. I'll add those into the show notes as well for anyone who wants to check them out. Um, and Jess, with that, thank you for being a great mom, a great thinker, great human being. And thank you for coming on the show. Oh, right back at you, Jill. This was awesome. 
you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation about the magic of words from the magical Jess, please review and share the show. Until next time, keep looking outside. Keep looking outside.